Welcome in to AWA Unleashed. We are the self-proclaimed preeminent number one podcast dedicated to telling the stories of the American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs. Thank you so much for joining us again and uh, trying to tell some stories and just reliving the memories of what we consider to be the best territory. When territories were a thing in wrestling, there were a lot of them and we're a little partial to the Minneapolis AWA territory. And hopefully you guys are having as much fun as we are. But enough about me. Let's bring in the uh, the other two members. That is Polish Joe and Mick Karch. And Mick, welcome back. How you feeling? You, uh, you you actually did. You actually felt uh, you had a good run of bad luck there for a while. Oh my God! Uh, yeah, we had had a couple of illnesses. I'm still kind of recovering from one. Uh, I took a. <laughs> Took a major bump mm-hmm. at an independent wrestling card here. Literally fell off a, a platform, and you know, um, whatever. Did you, you get a hot dog and a handshake, though? Uh, I I got the bun. I don't uh, don't remember much. <laughs> but the important the important question, Mick. So you took this bump. Did you sell? No. Of course you wouldn't. As a matter of fact, the promoter came up to me and said, "Way to no sell." You know? <laughs> you didn't get paid. You didn't get paid either. You didn't get paid. You I didn't no sell. <laughs> I got nothing. I got you know bruised ribs, bruised ego, half a, half of a, a hot dog bun, and uh, you know, no sell. So it was uh, it was great. But I'll just call, I'll just call you back. Goldberg now. Oh please. <laughs> I'm glad to be back, guys, and, and thank you for uh, more than picking up the slack. Appreciate it. Well, nice we, to have you back. Yeah, Dang. we yeah we are uh, we are happy to have you back. And uh, today we're going to go back to uh, a topic that it's kind of one that we had kind of thrown. Around. Well, I think you actually came up with the idea, Mick. Kind of tell us how you with the people what it's about, and then we're going to. Okay, well, I'll, 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 you're kind of freezing up there, but I, I kind of pieced together what you said. Um, what we're going to do, we're okay, going to be talking how is this? about... Is this better? That's better. We're going to be talking about mid-card guys, and there's a, a differentiation between enhancement talent and mid-card guys. Sometimes the enhancement talent uh, would get to a show, and they'd appear in the middle of the card, but for the most part... They had their appearances on TV. The mid-card guys would occasionally be elevated to a main event, uh, but they were in the territory for at least a length of time. Uh, They would open the show, second match, semifinal, whatever. Uh, They would get a a moderate push on television, uh, but they they weren't champions in the promotion. And it's kind of, you get this this gaggle of guys where you look at it, hey, I remember that guy, whatever happened to him? And, oh, yeah, I, I if I had seen this guy's picture, but I would have never remembered his name. So we're going to pay some homage and some uh, kudos uh, to that group of wrestlers, and I'm looking forward to it. Oh, you hit it right on the head, Mick. The, 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 these guys were, and, and some of the names you may have actually seen involved in a main event match, but you're right. They were mainly the mid-card guys um, and a very essential part of the business, uh, just as much as the enhancement talent uh, as well as the main event talent, because without them, you really didn't have a full wrestling card. So we you know, needed these guys. Perfect. Excellent point, Joe. And, and what I would say, if people are trying to make a comparison between the mid-card guys of that era and today, they're really... There aren't mid-card guys. I mean, because everybody on TV is kind of given a push. It's uh, a fifty. It's a fifty-fifty booking that they call it. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, everybody's involved in some kind of a storyline. Uh, you know, there may be five, six, seven main event caliber matches on a show. There's not the opening match building up to a main event. So things are quite different than they were back in the day. Plus the fact that these guys, you know, from the seventies and the eighties, a lot of them traveled, you know, from town to town by automobile, you know, instead of playing, they do their job. They'd go in and uh, wrestle in an auditorium in Milwaukee and then drive to Minneapolis the next day. So definitely the unsung heroes of the business. All right. So before we get into that, let's go ahead and take care of some uh, 
some uh, business, as they would say, and I couldn't even get the words out. Um, first of all, the tough I want to say, word business. I tell business you. is a business is a, a tough word. Well, <laughs> as you know, as because I kind of saw that I was buffering, and I'm trying to buy myself some time. I'm texting my wife about the Wi-Fi, and I'm just like, hey, you know, let's kind of. Hey, it's a it's a family show. No buffering on the air. That's why you see the neck up. You don't. Do you want me to tell you what's buffering? Gotcha. Are you gotcha. sure? No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah. I'm buffering by myself here. I'm buffering with you guys, if that makes any sense. No, you're not. <laughs> okay. Oh. Not that there's anything wrong with Not that, that there's anything wrong with buffering. My mom buffered. My dad buffered. My brother buffers. Okay. So uh, if you want to buffer, buffer with your AWA Unleashed t-shirt on. And if you want to get your AWA Unleashed t-shirt, then the only place to go, you guys, is Soda Stick. And we've got the black and white one. That's kind of the main one that they're selling right now. Uh, SodaStickCO.com slash collections. Uh, go ahead and get it as the weather's starting to warm up. Uh, we may even have a reason for you to wear it. Uh, well, we'll kind of tell you to you a little bit later on. I don't want to spill the beans. Uh, but use the promo code UNLEASH for 15% off. As well as if you like pizza, and again, if you sure you don't want me to show you buffering, it's Body by Pizza, 7th Avenue Pizza. It's great. They got a brand new uh, breakfast pizza that's out. Uh, we actually had some last night for supper. Absolutely loved it. Um, go to uh, 7thAvenuePizza.com. If you're not in the Twin Cities, if you're in the Twin Cities, I mean, you can get them at several Cubs, Lens Byerly's. I, I think uh, Holidays have them. Uh, pretty much anywhere. They're they're all over the metro. I know uh, Coborns and I think uh, Kowalski's in Outstate as well. So uh, they're starting to expand around the upper Midwest. And again, if you haven't, if you haven't been able to find it, let us know. And uh, we will go ahead and do our best to try and hook you up because I'm telling you guys, we wouldn't just promote it if we didn't like it and if we didn't need it. I'm a big fan of it. Matt, everybody at 7th Avenue Pizza, they're fantastic people too. And that's the thing. We want to partner with good people on this show. And I think uh, Matt, 7th Avenue Pizza, Landon, and everybody at Soda Stick, we're super proud that they've been with us uh, for the first you know year plus. Too bad. All right, guys, uh, let's go ahead and get into it. And um, let's first of all, Nick, you kind of mentioned there's a difference between uh, mid-card guys and enhancement talent. Um, again, the role of a mid-card guy, there were also some of these individuals that maybe they were mid-card guys here, but they ended up being maybe stars in other territories, and then they'd be stars, and then they'd come back, right? Did, right, did, right. That, did that have a tendency to happen? Absolutely, it did. And uh, a, a lot of guys would come back uh, after they had made a splash somewhere else and kind of wind up their career here. By the same token, again, a great point that you made, Chris, is that a lot of guys that started in the AWA and were mid-card guys went on to incredible uh, success elsewhere. And I, I, I just made a, a, a quick list. They not only would necessarily start as a mid-card guy, but also some of them were enhancement talent. Talking about Harley Race, Roddy Piper, Terry Funk, uh, Bob Remus, Sergeant Slaughter, Rick Flair, Ricky Steamboat, Kurt Hennig, and Kazro Vaziri, the Iron Sheik, all basically got their start in the AWA, either as an enhancement talent or as a mid-card guy. So, you know, and they went on to superstardom. A lot of the guys that I'm going to be mentioning today are well-known names, but maybe did not reach the level of stardom as the guys that I just mentioned. Yeah, I could throw out probably a couple of names as well. I know the list is long, but, uh, and I'm going to go, well, I am Polish Joe, but, you know, you've got Bull Belinsky, yes. um, the mighty Igor, Ivan Putsky. Um, they were all, you know, as I mentioned earlier, they may have been involved in a main event angle, but if you were to slap them, which we are doing today, they were mid-card guys and very valuable mid-card guys because, again, you needed to have the entire card in order to present your product to the wrestling fan yeah. and justify the, the, the price of that ticket. And, and, and again, I, it, was, it was a build. 
It was a build yep. from the opening match to the main event. You didn't start with an elimination chamber or yeah. a championship match. So I was going to say because because it's that's one thing I think wrestling fans have an issue with. Like, there's no structure to a card. It's like everything is the same. Everything's you know matches hot, matches hot, matches hot, matches. It's it's you've got to have different layers. To me, it's it's a story. It's like a sandwich. You got to have different ingredients to this. Otherwise, it's going to end up being the same thing. And I think that's where the product today at points, we look at it, we're just like, it's the same thing over and over. There's no differentiation between the talent that starts a show and the talent that ends the show. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. And, you know, we've talked about the differences in the business from, from now and then. And in a lot of ways, the only connection is the word wrestling on the marquee. And Vince, did, you know, didn't even want people to use the word wrestling. So... Um, but we're going to, we're going to, like I say, we're going to pay homage to some of the guys that were familiar names in the AWA. We're going to do two parts, as I understand it, uh, 1970s this week and then yep. 1980s next week. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way to go. And some of these names that I saw on the list are names that I don't necessarily, me personally, I don't necessarily uh, make the connection of these guys and the seventies. Some of these individuals I think about in the eighties. Sure. So uh, I think too, when I, when you see these, I think you're going to see, maybe you'll think about it the same way that I do. It's like, well, why are these guys in the seventies? You guys are going to explain why you put them in this category instead of next week. Is, is that, is that fair to say you'll help kind of lay that out? Yeah. And I mean, some of these guys started in the sixties, um, and the reason that I'm not starting in the 60s is because we've kind of found out recently that our demographic uh, is largely 70s and, 70s and 80s. Yeah. So uh, we're going to be talking about that. And, and then again, some of the guys wrestled in the 60s, 70s into the 80s. The guys that I'm talking about were predominantly mid-card guys, regular guys in the AWA in the mid to late 70s. All so right. Yep. All right. Uh, I know there are uh, some individuals that don't like this phrase, but here it is. That being said, let's get into it here, guys. And the uh, first one is uh, someone that, uh, you know, we've we've talked, you know, about possibly getting on if we can uh, make it work with schedules. And that is uh, Steve-O, Steve Olsenowski. You know, Steve-O is a very interesting uh, guy to kick off with because he had a lot of popularity and a lot of notoriety in the AWA started in the 1970s, mid 1970s. What's interesting about Steve is that he basically maintained the same personality, same character, same wrestling style, not only in the AWA, but when he ventured into other territories uh, here in the AWA area, he was basically a mid-card guy. I don't recall if Steve was ever, you know, intentionally promoted for a main event. There's a, a latter picture of Steve O uh, at our reunion last October. Uh, Steve, his biggest success was actually in the NWA. Uh, he went to Georgia Championship Wrestling, won a national heavyweight championship in that promotion, did extremely well there. Uh, tag team partnered here with Evan Johnson for a while, with Paul Ellering for a while. And then, of course, as, we, as we've said, he finished up his career here, sort of, as Ninja Go, when the original Super Ninja, uh, who was here with uh, Sherry Martell, uh, left town. And by God, they needed another ninja. And who better than that Oriental superstar? <laughs> Uh, Steve Olsenowski, but uh, Steve is a great friend of ours and a guy I think deserved more than he got in the AWA, but a well-known name, no question. Yeah, I would. I mean, Steve was a great worker, um, yeah. did an admirable job, but he was one of those that he didn't get a push because I, in purely my opinion, and, and, and I mean this with all due respect, um, Charisma-wise on the promo, which is where the talent would get over in the first place. The interviews helped make them. And Steve-O did an admirable job. You know, he, he wasn't horrible on the mic, but he was 
just a guy. There was no character behind Steve Olsonowski. He was just Steve-O, Steve Olsonowski. And I don't know, maybe if he would have gotten some type of a character, no, not Ninja Go, uh, he might have advanced further. But, yeah, you know, a, a very, very capable, with, with respect to Kenny J, a very capable yeah. mid-carder was, was Steve Olsonowski. No question about it. And, again, a great friend of ours, and we'll have Steve on the air one of these days, no doubt. Yep. And uh, the second one, guys, uh, here, talk about Frankie Hill. Uh, Frankie Hill, Wisconsin's own Frankie Hill. Uh, his real name, I don't think he cares at all, it's out there, is Francis Huntington. And uh, Frankie lives in the Northeast United States right now. There he is, and he is of uh, Native heritage. And Frankie would come in a regular uh, not only enhancement talent in the AWA, but he was elevated to mid-card status on occasion. And uh, he would wrestle heel primarily, a uh, big, tough kid. Uh, occasionally, he would take the babyface role. Again, when it exploded for Frankie Hill was when he went out east, went to the WWF. Maybe it was had seven Ws back then. I don't remember. And uh, he teamed up with Chief Jules Strongbow, uh, and they won the WWWWF Tag Team Championship back in the day. So uh, an illustrious career, no question about it, for Frankie, who became, as I said, Chief Jules Strongbow. Uh, interestingly enough, there was a wrestling promoter in California in the 1950s whose name was Jules Strongbow. So I don't know if that's where they got the name, but uh, Frankie's a dear friend. I haven't seen him since we did an Australian tour together 30 years ago, but I know he's alive and kicking. One of my favorite people in the business. Great guy. Great, great guy. So what I was going on with earlier about Steve-O, it actually comes to fruition here with Frankie Hill. Yeah. He oh, was oh. given, as a mid-carder, he was given something more than just the name Frankie Hill. Right. He came out with a headdress. He goes out, teams with Jules Strongbow, and as he said, he became a main eventer yep. because he had a gimmick. He teamed with uh, a very legendary Native American wrestler, and they won tag team championships. And so it's, it, it's a perfect example, sorry for hitting my mic, a perfect example of a mid-card guy that has something to work with. He took advantage of that and rode that all the way to the WWWWWF championship. Correct. That yeah. <laughs> the weird, wild, wacky, wet <laughs> championship. And the That's last not... W is Weazirk. Weazirk. There you go. Uh, All right. Uh, let's get to, uh, let's get to the next one. Uh, maybe the original Moose here. Moose Chill. Uh, you're, uh, you're freezing up, <laughs> but uh, I, I know the guy we're talking about is Moose Cholock. Golden Moose Cholock. Hey guys, I, I think my, my Wi-Fi is like screwing up something bad. I don't know what's going on. Well, we're here. Okay. All right. Well, we'll really. Okay. You guys go. You guys All go. Right. Um, yes. So Golden Moose Cholock, actually in the 1960s, there was a show called Wrestling Champions out of Chicago, Illinois. And Golden Moose Cholock was a fixture on Wrestling Champions. He was a Chicago guy. He had a bar and restaurant in Chicago. He was extremely popular. He was legendary in the Chicago area. Uh, but Moose was a uh, primarily the first part of his career was a heel. And then as he kind of grew on everybody, especially in the Chicago area, he turned babyface. There's Golden Moose in his heyday. Uh, Moose Cholak is one of those guys kind of like the Crusher, kind of like a Belinsky. Your everyday guy that people just kind of gravitated to. Uh, he did very well 
when he would wrestle for Dick the Bruiser or he would wrestle in Chicago or Indianapolis, he did extremely well, did a lot of main events. Here in the AWA, as I recall, he had one brief run in the main event against Reggie Parks on a regular basis. And that's not a tumor. That's not a growth. Uh, that's not a moose taking a dump in the middle of the ring. That is actually uh, Golden Moose Cholak in that headdress of his or head, whatever. Is that, a real, is that a real moose? That's a real moose. And uh, I, I've seen the uh, or saw the real moose in person. Oh and that's a big, heavy moose, uh, not just Cholak. Uh, who weighed in about 350 himself. But that was part of his gimmick. He would come into the ring, kind of the precursor to Vader's uh, exploding helmet. Yeah. But uh, there you go. Big Moose Cholak, and uh, again, legendary in the Chicago, Indianapolis area. Not so much here in the AWA, but one of the great, great veterans of this business. So, Mick, I've got to ask, because Moose was, he was before my time. I've re- I don't remember him in the AWA. I've seen plenty of matches with him, um, as you said, in Bruiser's territory. But when he came out to the ring, he would wear that heavy moose headdress. How in the hell did he get into the ring? Because that's not going to fit between the ropes. He was not tall. He was not big enough. That's what I'm wondering. To do the Andre yeah. step yeah. over the top rope, so I've only got to imagine that he would take the headdress off and then put it back on. You know, I don't remember. It, there is footage of Moose out there. I don't remember if he took the headdress off before he got into the ring, or he did one of those Undertaker gimmicks where he would hold it in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, that's that's pretty. Even the beak on that that Moose is about seven foot long. Uh, so I, I really don't remember. As far as how does a guy move around with that much weight? Come on. Let's not get insulting here. <laughs> there he is. There he is. It's not so much the weight. It, it, it's the size. The size of that head. I know. I mean, Look at that. It, it looks like the antlers are almost touching the ring lights. That's... Well, uh, I can't get rid of a picture now of you saying, no, that is not a moose taking a dump. But it's like, oh, my God, you know, I, I can I, I can sort of, sort of see that. Moving right um, along. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've talked about that moose head more than I thought we ever would. How about uh, Roger Kirby? Any connection oh. to a moose head with Roger Kirby? Roger Kirby, to me, was one of those guys in the AWA that – even though he had a push and he had a, a regular push, as a matter of fact, a great heel. I don't think he got the credit that he deserved. Uh, Roger was here for an extended run. Uh, there, there's a picture of Roger, legitimate tough guy. And uh, he called himself the nature boy. He's one of several, you know, Ric Flair, Buddy Rogers. He was nature boy, Roger Kirby. And I saw Roger perform a feat of strength at the Northwest Athletic Club in Minneapolis in the 1970s where he did a leg press. He had, and I don't know how legitimate this was as far as the the amount of weight on the bar, uh, but there was press from the Minneapolis Tribune there. And I mean, they treated this as a legitimate deal. And they said that he was leg pressing 2,800 pounds. Now, whether or not that was the work. I don't know. I do know that Roger looked like he was going to explode uh, from the effort. Um, but as far as his wrestling career, a great talent, great heel. He's another one of those guys that when he went to other territories, uh, Leroy McGurk's tri-state area, uh, the NWA, he was a worldwide star. And a rough, tough, old-school heel Nothing flashy about Roger Kirby. And there, that is he and Lord Alfred Hayes, or as uh, my friend Joe Chupik calls him, Lord El Finco. Uh, they were the Central States Tag Team Champions for a while. Talk about two great, great pros in this business. Uh, Roger Kirby, in, in my estimation, again, very underrated, but just a mid-card guy here in the AWA. You know, two things about, uh, well, actually, one thing about Roger and then just a general statement about the mid-card thing that just sort of popped into my mind. What I remember about Roger Kirby uh, as a young wrestling fan growing up watching all-star wrestling 
was the mustache wax. He had the Raleigh fingers he did. thing going. Um, but when you're talking about, uh, you know, Roger not getting the push here and then talking about a lot of the other guys um, getting a push when they left the territory, I'm thinking about the period that we're talking about, and it stands to reason why they were mid-card guys. When you've got Nick Bockwinkle going against Vern Gagne, you're throwing a smattering of Billy Robinson, and that took, I mean, that was the entire 1970s. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. the cat? The hey, cat. Nick, Mick, disable your catapult, will you? Oh, my yeah. God, the cat. <laughs> Crying out loud, they can't. They, isn't that some kind of a disqualification in some towns? I think he came off the top rope. It looked man, like. that was impressive. <laughs> but anyway, so you so go ahead. So the, oh. the, the you know the what the time the time period that we're talking about with all of these guys. It's yes. it's it's, it's you know it stands to reason why they were mid level card guys here because they couldn't crack. The Vern Gagne, Nick Bockwinkle, Billy Robinson smattering that we had in the 80s. And then you throw in the tag teams where well, you've got Nick Bockwinkle and Ray the Crippler Stevens, the High Flyers. Um, I, I get why um, they didn't get the push that I, I would agree that they probably would have deserved and that they may have gotten during a different time period. But, but you it's know, making every, sense. Every, Every territory was like that, though. You know, you yes. had your six, seven, eight guys that were on top consistently yeah. doing the main events, and then you had your rock-solid preliminary guys. And that's, how, again, how the business has changed completely. Um, yeah. But the, Kirby, in my estimation, again, my guy, this guy had thighs on him like oak trees. Uh, so the real deal. Yeah, and, and that kind of shows, guys, just to kind of piggyback off of that, it's not necessarily that the mid-card guys that we're talking about today were not capable of going up to that main event level. It, it just shows you how good that the top part of the roster, the top part of that locker Correct. room really was. I mean, that's yep. I think that's what it boils down to. Yeah, exactly and, and, my point. And, and just to, you know, I know we're kind of running a little long here on some of these, but... Um, what I would say to that is, in back in the day, you concentrated on the main event if you were a promotion. Yeah. You concentrated on the semifinal. Nowadays, you got six, seven storylines that you're concentrating on at the same time. So is there a mid-card guy? Is there a preliminary guy? Not really. You know, everything has its own, his own storyline. So there you go. Yep. Yep. Let's get to the next one in Sailor Art. Sailor uh, Art Thomas. We've talked about Sailor Art before, and not a lot you can say about Art Thomas, except he was a decent worker uh, in terms of his technical prowess in the ring. wasn't a lot. Uh, Art was a big, strong, legitimately chiseled guy from uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or Madison, Wisconsin, I believe. Now, no steroids back then. Uh, Sailor Art was, again, a real deal. He would come into the AWA periodically, maybe as a mystery opponent for a Blackjack Lanza or something like that. Uh, early in the 60s, he had a feud with the Crusher when Crusher was still a heel. Uh, then he had a feud with Nick Bockwinkle uh, when Nick was first getting his start in the AWA. But Sailor Art Thomas, again, by all indications, a real nice guy, um, Typical strongman where, you know, the, the heel would bounce off of him with a shoulder tackle or whatever it was. Sailor Art, again, uh, one of those guys, you know, maybe it was, uh, you know, lack of interview skills or whatever. Uh, but Sailor Art was mid-card all the way here in the AWA, did better in the other territories like Chicago and Indianapolis, again, uh, as opposed to the AWA. But uh, just a super, super guy and one of the early legit strongmen in wrestling. The, the thing I, that I remember about Sailor Art Thomas actually involves another uh, a black wrestler at the time, and that's Rufus R. Railroad Jones. Right. 
Uh, and uh, I, I remember them coming on and it being the early 70s uh, for myself. I really enjoyed it um, to to see um, more than just Vern Gagne and Nick Bockwinkle coming out every time to, shall we say, uh, incorporate diversity yeah. uh, into it. Um, personally, I enjoyed uh, Rufus R. Railroad Jones a little more. I think he had... You know, more of he was more animated. Thank you. There you go. Um, but no, Sailor R. Thomas, I, I agree. He came out chiseled and his in ring work, yeah, what wasn't the greatest, but uh made an impact as a mid carter. I, I, I would definitely agree with on agree with you on that, Nick. All right, moving on. All right, let's go to the uh, next one here, guys, and uh tell me about Billy Red Cloud, Nick. Billy Red Cloud, uh, originally Bill Wright, uh, W-R-I-G-H-T, from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And he, again, was a mid-card guy. Um, and, and when I say mid-card preliminary guy back in the early 1960s, even late 1950s, uh, this is a picture when he actually transformed into Billy Red Cloud. As Bill Wright, he was about as milk toast as you could get. Uh, he was a solid worker. He was tough. But on the personality scale, the needle did not move. Uh, in the middle 1960s, there was a transformation. I honestly don't know, uh, Bill Wright, if it was legitimate Native heritage or not. I believe it was. Uh, but they did a full ceremony on television where he transformed from Bill Wright into Billy Red Cloud. And uh, in other territories around the United States, he sometimes wrestled at Bobby Red Cloud. Uh, he teamed with Wahoo McDaniel here uh, periodically for a short run in the 1970s. In the middle 60s, he had a legendary extended feud with Mad Dog Vachon here in the Minneapolis-St. Paul and the AWA area. Matter of fact, they had an Indian chain match. So he was uh, the real deal, uh, very, very popular among the fans here once he made that transformation. And again, uh, when he went to other territories, and, and this is kind of a recurring theme, the way Bruiser or Bob Luce or whoever would use him uh, was a little bit different than he was used here in the Minneapolis territory. But a great guy. I remember, sadly, I was supposed to interview him uh, for a newspaper article back in the late 1970s. And unfortunately, he had a heart condition that uh, took his life before I had an opportunity to do so. But very, very nice guy, Minneapolis-born, uh, Billy Redclaw. There he is. That's more of the, the Bill Wright look uh, early on in the day. But uh, a great talent. And again... Mid Carter here in the AWA, except for a couple of main event runs. Quick question, Mick. Indian chain match. I remember the Indian strap matches between Wahoo and superstar Billy Graham, but what was an Indian chain match? Was it the same as a strap match, but just with a chain? If, you, if you're familiar with the Roddy Piper, Greg the Hammer Valentine chain match, uh, which is legendary, it basically was the same thing. You had a okay. length of chain instead of a strap, and needless to say, the dog uh, bled substantially uh, no. during the match. Yeah, imagine that. But Okay, so the other thing with Billy Redcloud is I do certainly remember him uh, and, and uh, Wahoo teaming together, but it reminds me of the, the time period that was professional wrestling, and they did, when I say they, Wahoo and Billy Redcloud, uh, shall we just say the stereotype of the Native American was there? He would do his little war dance and coming back from, you know, that, that was his comeback and so forth. And looking back on it, it's like, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, wrestling was the territory. It was cyclical, you know, battle royal. I mean, you had your certain slots and so forth. And so I get it. I guess my, my whole point was the, the imagination um, maybe just wasn't quite where it is today. It's just, it's different, if, if, if you will. And you're certainly not going to have, in fact, is there even a, a Native American wrestler working today? I don't believe so. And you, and you know what's interesting? Mm, uh, yeah, I don't think it's Before we move on here, Charlie Norris, 
uh, actually, uh, we just lost. Uh, Charlie was wrestling for WCW uh, back in the day, and he actually filed a lawsuit against WCW because he did not like the the encumberment of doing the Native American war dance and, and what have you. Um, so, yeah, times have definitely changed. Back then, it was just very simple. You had your Cowboy Bill Watts. You had your uh, Native Wahoo McDaniel. You had your Russians. Your is very black and white for pro wrestling fans back then. Yeah, you, you, your ethnicity seemed like it was a built-in gimmick. Absolutely. Well, and, and what did every Asian wrestler do? The ceremonial oh. salt, and so. and they how many times, how many different uh, uh, Asian wrestlers would throw the salt in, and that would you know, and into their opponent's eyes, and recycled stuff yeah. back at the time, but still very entertaining, of course. Oh, it was over, and it was lowest common denominator stuff, and they got away with it, and. They, they wouldn't do so today. Correct. Yeah. All right, before we get to the next one, guys, uh, if you're watching on YouTube or, you know, listening, um, I apologize, my YouTube, it's a little, or my Wi-Fi is a little funky today, uh, but we're going to try and, and power through here. So if you see the buffering, if you kind of hear it, that it's kind of, you know, coming in and out, that's the Wi-Fi on my side. I can't do anything until we're done, obviously. Reset my router. But unfortunately, it's just, it's technology, right? It's just shit happens. We just got to go with it. So I uh, just want to tell you, guys, it, I, by all means, don't let that prevent you from subscribing to our YouTube channel. So if you want, if you want more non-buffering stuff, subscribe to the YouTube channel, because if you don't subscribe to YouTube, we're going to continue to give the, the, the buffer stuff. So let me just say that. Is that not buff the stuff, buffer stuff. I got okay. it. Okay. Let's, uh, yep. Uh, Ox Baker, you guys, uh, this is one that I think a lot of people remember Ox Baker. Ox Baker such an anomaly because in the AWA, Ox was relegated to mid card status, at least in the Minneapolis version of the AWA. Uh, when you want to, if you were to develop a consummate wrestling heel monster from the ground up, uh, you were a mad professor in a laboratory. Ox Baker would be your finished product. Um, Ox was about 6'5", 6'6", 300-pounder, about as scary a looking guy as you could ever want to see in the business. And again, same story. Here we go again. Different verse, same as the first. For Dick the Bruiser and in Chicago for Bob Luce, he was over huge. In the AWA, he had a moderate push uh, as a uh, heel for a while. Uh, typically, they would save Ox's promo for the end of the night. Marty O'Neill would have to cut him off midstream and have the theme music playing in the background. And, of course, Ox would rant and rave, why are you cutting me off? I got a lot to say. Uh, sadly, a lot of the AWA fans only remember Ox Baker from his last run here. And I can't even call it a run. Uh, he was actually managing the Russian brute at some of those, uh, well, I hate to say abysmal, but they were uh, tapings in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, there's Ox. He was a mainstay at Cauliflower Alley Club. And I have told you this before. You could hear Ox Baker in that, that amusement hall or whatever it was, all the way down to Las Vegas Boulevard and into Colorado. Uh, when he would get started. What a character. There's footage of him on YouTube where he was a guest. Um, the Price is Right. He was a. Uh, he came out of the audience, uh, called himself, I'm Douglas, he said, uh, Douglas Oxbaker, and he was a guest, uh, Bob Barker, on The Price is Right, mm -hmm. and uh, legendary Oxbaker. There are so many Oxbaker stories um, that are incredible but true, but Ox was the real deal and legendary in his own right in professional wrestling. But in Minneapolis, St. Paul, in the AWA, yeah, not quite so much. <clears throat> Excuse me. The thing I remember about Ox, uh, meeting him for the first time, and again, it was later in his years, uh, very scary-looking individual. But yes. then when you, when, when you got to talk to him, what a nice guy. Oh, yeah. 
But but I'm with you, Mick. You didn't want to stand too close to Ox, not because I mean he showered and everything. He had one of those voices that just carried. He did not need a megaphone. And he was just loved. Maybe he had his hearing went bad, whatever, but deep voice. And sadly, in the later years, he could barely move when he was yeah. with the AWA. I mean, he, yeah, it, it, it was sad to see. But God, what a nice guy and perfect. I mean, just look at the picture of him. Those damn eyebrows. He had more hair on his eyebrows than Baron Von Roschke had, had on his entire body. No question uh, about it. The I mean, just a hard punch too. Look, uh, I mean, y- yes. Look, look at, but look at those, look at those caterpillars above his eyes. Oh my! I, I mean, good grief! Andy Rooney lives. Yes. Uh, wow. Well, but yeah, great right, guy. Baker. Yeah, that's yeah. great look. Gr- yeah, great look for a heel too. Like that's a great look. I love the oh, look. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how about uh, Bill Howard here, guys? Bill Howard. Uh, we're going to give Bill Howard a mention here because he was a mainstay, not only on AWA TV, but he also would make some of those auditorium shows. Uh, a lot of times he would substitute for somebody if, the, you know, one of the stars didn't appear. But that goes to the to the premise of how good these guys were, that they could take the place of somebody established, get in do what they had to do in the ring, you know, to, to get the crowd lit up for the, for the rest of the card. There's Billy Howard in his AWA days. And again, here's a guy when he left the AWA wrestling a lot of territories in the United States and into Japan, he was tremendously over in Japan. Uh, but you know, in the AWA, he was a Kenny J, a George Kadaski, uh, Frankie Hill, Bill Howard. And uh, Bill was as steady as a rock in performance in what he could uh, deliver in the ring. And this will be in a little aside that you guys will. Oh, boy, there he is. There's, I'm not sure if that was a, a photo from his stint in Japan or not. But uh, it looks like the moose needing a Duke one out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Uh, but at any one thing I would say about Bill Howard in the history of AWA television dumb or something like that, uh, he was wrestling Nick Bockwinkle on TV, and he Bill was actually disqualified for throwing Nick over the top rope. Now, this was an enhancement guy who was getting that kind of a rub against Nick Bockwinkle on TV, and uh, good stuff. Uh, Bill Howard, uh, as as steady as a talent as you're going to have in the AWA or anywhere else. Great name from out of the past. I'll, all I have to say is I personally don't remember Bill, and I don't mean that as a shot towards him whatsoever. Um, some of these guys were just, they were mid-carters, and admittedly, um, I'm not as, um, I'm not as seasoned as you, Mick. Mm-hmm. I guess oh, I, uh, steak on the grill, or, or what the hell are you? <laughs> you you are you are a, you are a year. You're just a year or fourteen older than me. That's all I'm going to say. I really appreciate you, Joel. Uh, kind of like a you know the the stomach flu I'm trying to get rid of. Moving on. <laughs> I'm in, I'm enjoying this. I mean, we could we could end. We got about uh, five or six more names, so let's see if we can get to them. If not, I'll enjoy hearing you guys talk about your stomach flu and comparing that to Joe. Uh, let's go to the uh, the next one here, guys. Uh, how about Ron Ritchie? Ron Ritchie. Uh, there's not a lot to say about Ron Ritchie other than the fact that in the 1970s he came into the AWA at a time when they brought in like this whole slew of preliminary guys, uh, Ron Ritchie, uh, Peter Sandor Zabo, uh, Johnny Heideman, Tinker Todd, guys like this that are not legendary names by any means in the AWA, but they were here to fulfill that role of putting, you know, a, a good preliminary match ahead of the of the main event, the top guys. Uh, Ron Ritchie was Canadian. Uh, he was here uh, for a very, very short stint of time, and he always struck me as one of those guys where maybe the intention was to get him over and it just didn't work. Uh, Maybe they wanted him to be, you know, he's a good looking guy. Maybe they wanted him to be 
uh, a rock solid baby face. Uh, just didn't pan out. Ron wasn't here for all that long. Uh, he wrestled extensively up in the Stampede area in uh, Calgary. Uh, great reputation, great career up there. But again, one of those names in history. You look back on those, on that program lineup sheet, see the name Ron Ritchie. I don't remember that guy. Well, you know what? We'll, we'll uh, pay him some uh, some tribute. Chris, could you put that last picture that you had up of uh, Ron Ritchie again? Uh, you mean uh, this one right here? Yeah. You know the vibe I'm getting from that picture, Mick? What's that? A little bit of the Pedro Morales look. Absolutely. Yeah, a little bit of Pedro Morales uh, separated at birth from Buff Bagwell. Uh, <laughs> you can, you, so, so you've got a buffed Pedro. Uh, see, I, I was seeing, and I know one guy, we got about 15 minutes here, but I, hopefully we can get to him. I'm getting the vibes of somebody else that's coming up a little bit later on. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's hold off. Okay. okay. Well, let's hold get on. on to the next one. All, All right. right. Uh, the uh, next one is uh, Pierre Poisson. Hopefully ah, I'm saying that right. Pierre Poisson. He was Pierre in the AWA area uh, and some other areas. He was also Gilles Poisson. Gilles the Fish Poisson. Uh, he actually had a stint again in WWF. He was managed by Freddie Blassie, of all people, and he would he went by the name of Louis Sear, S Y R, uh, back in the day when he was wrestling in New York. Pierre came in uh, to the AWA area, and he's another one of these guys didn't quite get main event status. They put him together with Moose Morowski as a tag team. Uh, in the late 1970s, and they had a feud all over the country with the High Flyers. So he did get some notoriety here in the AWA, never won a championship or anything like that. But again, your typical old school, non, no nonsense, Ole Anderson, uh, straight ahead heel. And uh, Pierre Poisson, one of the regular names in the AWA towards the end of the 1970s, and I believe was looking for Pierre part two. There he is. There's a more recent picture of Gilles the Fish, a.k.a. Pierre Poisson, uh, AWA historians. There you go. Wow. I do remember him, but, uh, yeah, not not that much because, as you said, he didn't really have a, a long run here in the AWA, but certainly an integral one. He, I do remember him and... I enjoyed the gimmick, I will have to say. There you go. All right, guys, uh, let's get to the next. This was the one that I felt had the Ron Ritchie vibes and uh, someone that we saw who I I connect this man to the uh, the 1980s, and that is uh, Tom Zink. Oh, you know, you're absolutely right about the, uh, the Ron Ritchie vibe there. Tom Zank, of course, Minnesota, born and bred, Robbinsdale High School. Uh, Tom, to me, is one of the real enigmas in pro wrestling. Um, he started out here. He had a moderate push. Again, one of these guys that I think they envisioned at the beginning was going to be pushed to the moon mm -hmm. uh, because of his local connection and his good looks. Uh, he was a great technical wrestler. Uh, Tom Zank and rest his soul. Uh, I worked with Tom several times. Tom, every once in a while, kind of had a chip on his shoulder. And whether or not that prevented him from going farther in the AWA than he did, certainly in the NWA and uh, World Championship Wrestling as the Z-Man, and then, of course, when he went to uh, WWF uh, with uh, Rick Martell. The Can-Am Connection, yeah. The Can-Am Connection. Uh, Tom was a great wrestler. I think attitude-wise, he was kind of up and down. And that may have been uh, to his detriment here. Uh, if you remember correctly, they had a battle royal here to uh, crown an AWA champion, which Larry Zabisco won. And the man that he tossed out, the last man, was uh, Tom Zink. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, uh, Tom, unfortunately, here in the AWA, he's a footnote. But very, very popular. I just think, you know, the sky could have been the limit for him. And for whatever reason, it wasn't. He definitely had some personal demons and uh, rub promoters the wrong way. 
Um, one other fact about him, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mick, but was he not Mr. Minnesota? I believe so. I believe it was yeah, something like that or, or Mr. Minnesota or Mr. Arms Minnesota or something like that. But, yeah, he, he definitely was up there in the bodybuilding category, too. Yeah. And, again, you know, with the John Nords, Barry Darso's of the world, uh, Robinsdale grad. Yep. All right, let's uh, let's get to the next one here, guys. Uh, tell me about Alexis Smirnoff. Ah, Alexis Smirnoff, another tried and true veteran, wrestled literally all over the world, coast to coast, border to border, like Roger Kent would say. He was tremendously over in Japan. Uh, he had kind of the Mad Dog Vashon look about him. Uh, what was interesting is he, when he first appeared in the AWA, he came in under the name of Cecil Dubois. Uh, I believe he actually was of Canadian extraction. Uh, had a moderate success, again, mid-1970s uh, as an AWA heel. Left the AWA territory, and then surprisingly, uh, maybe a couple of years later, here comes Alexis Smirnoff. Uh, Cecil Dubois fell off the planet, fell off the face of the earth, and all of a sudden he's replaced by Alexis Smirnoff. But uh, a great, great heel, very talented, old school general type. And as, as I said, he was over huge in Japan, wrestled all over the country, uh, sadly passed away not that long ago. I saw him at Cauliflower Alley Club many, many times. Great, great individual and a real talent in the business. Yeah, uh, he came back in the later 80s, uh, yes. a member at the showboat. Um, and he was a tag team. I can't remember who uh, I can picture them, but I can't remember the name of his tag team partner. But I remember thinking uh, they were doing the Russian gimmick and this would have been late 80s. And, you know, the, the uh, uh, Reagan, you know, break down this wall. And so the, the, the whole heat against Russia just the, the it, it wasn't what it once was when Alexi came back to wrestle in the AWA. Correct. All right, let's get to the uh, the next one. Here's another one. I, I believe he was also from Canada, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, maybe I am a Bulldog Bob Brown. Bulldog Bob Brown, I believe, was originally from Winnipeg. Bulldog Bob Brown, I've said this before, he probably had the worst high-profile match I've ever seen when he wrestled Giant Baba at Wrestle Rock. And uh, that, that was a combination. That was really putting oil and water together. Uh, terrible matchup. Bob Brown was probably about 5'9", maybe 250, 260. A great heel, uh, wrestled all over the United States, particularly in the Kansas City area. Uh, he was over huge. He was uh, kind of a, a co-promoter. Uh, Booker down in that area when he first started wrestling in the AWA. And uh, this has been mentioned before on this podcast. He was known as Bill Green when he appeared on TV as an enhancement guy in the early 1960s. So not only did he change his name, but he changed his color. <laughs> and uh, so there is Bob Geigel and Bulldog Bob Brown and Bob passed away. Not that. Well, it actually is quite a while ago. He had a son, uh, Carrie, who also, uh, I believe, has passed away. Saw Bob Brown wrestle Bruiser Brody in Winnipeg, Canada. And I remember it's a 15,000 seat building. They busted their asses putting on a brawl for the fans. All 700 people that were in the building in this 15,000 seat arena. And uh, so it was a little difficult to, uh, to swallow back then. But, uh, again, great veteran, uh, no-nonsense guy. There's Bulldog Bob Brown, Central States legend. And uh, if you get a chance to watch Wrestle Rock, please do yourself a favor, skip over that match. Mick, I agree 100% with you. Uh, I'm going to – preface what I'm going to say about that match that Giant Baba and Bulldog Bob Brown deserve their place in wrestling history. They were both over. They were both talents in their own rights. But that match at Wrestle Rock, um, I could, if it's not at the top, it's probably in my top three worst matches 
that I've ever seen, and that includes Silo Sam matches. That includes Rocky Mountain Thunder matches. They It was that bad. And every time I did anything related to Wrestle Rock, as far as uh, 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 doing a home video presentation or something, needed a shave out time. And that was the first match that I would eliminate off of any run sheet that I did. Atrocious match. If you can picture a match that's being shown in slow motion and then slow that one down six <laughs> or seven times, um, that would still, Bob Brown and, and Giant Baba would, would have been a great turtle race. And uh, horrible yeah. stuff. But but I like Bob Brown. He was a great yeah. guy to work with. And uh, again, Central States legend, Bulldog Bob Brown. It yes. was just that that comment. Those two individuals you're telling me are fine. It's just that combination. It didn't. Oh. Well, well, not only not only that combination, but you have to you have to add in the reality that it was at the end of both of their careers. Yes. yes. You know, so it's it's not like two guys who are in their 20s, hell, even in their early 30s, trying to yeah. put on a match for what was supposed to be the marquee event ever of the AWA. But they're at the end of their their run, and uh, sadly for Russell Rock, and we might do a whole show on that at some point. Yeah, a lot of the matches that Russell Rock had were because you've got guys calling in, wanting to be a part of Russell Rock, and so that's why there was what like sixteen matches, I think, and a lot of them were thrown in there because Vern was doing a favor to a bunch of guys yeah. and putting on matches that, quite frankly had no relevance to the AWA. Bulldog Bob Brown versus Giant Baba meant absolutely zero to the AWA. There was no lead up to it. There was no nothing. It was a match that was just added, period. You know, the saddest part about that match was that it took place. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. Well, we've got about... Uh... Less than five minutes here, but let's go a little bit over because the Wi-Fi has been buffering and it's been kind of, it hasn't been the best technically um, on my end. So uh, we'll just go a couple minutes over okay. today, guys, just to just to make sure that we get everything in. Um, we've only got two names left and then we can kind of tell people what we've got coming up. Uh, how about Buddy Smith? Buddy Smith. If you're an AWA fan, you probably have no idea who Buddy Smith is in the scheme of things. And I don't blame you. Uh, Buddy was here in the late 60s, I believe, into the early 1970s. I could be a little bit off on the actual time frame, but there he is. Good old, clean-cut, baby-faced, milk-toast Buddy Smith. Uh, here in the AWA, he was used as a preliminary guy with some talent, uh, you know, that would kind of differentiate him from some of the enhancement guys who really – you know, we're barely enhancement guys. Uh, Buddy Smith worked a lot in the AWA, worked around the horn in the Omaha, you know, uh, Minneapolis, Denver area. And then all of a sudden, Buddy Smith is gone from the AWA. And lo and behold, the guy surfaces not that long afterward. And there is Freebird Buddy Roberts. And uh, Buddy Roberts, of course, with... Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, tremendous success uh, once he left the AWA and even when he came back. But, yeah, Buddy Smith transformed into Buddy Roberts, so that is a legendary mm -hmm. transformation. But here in the AWA, again, at the start of his career, uh, Buddy Smith was just mid-card guy, Buddy Smith. I do not remember Buddy Smith whatsoever, but I certainly remember Buddy, Buddy. Jack Roberts. There you go. Yep. And yep. yeah, the, the 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 Jack is usually followed by Daniels, but um, the, the 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 Buddy Jack Roberts, as uh, he was later known as, um, yeah, might have related to a, a little colored bottle of uh, whiskey. There. Are you suggesting that? Buddy Roberts every once in a while would imbibe in something other than chocolate milk? Um, the only problem with your statement was every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Buddy, but, Buddy liked his Jack. Uh, we'll, just, we'll, we'll leave it at that. 
could you hear the ocean roar whenever he walked past you? I mean, was the sloshing that that loud? Um, I, I just tried to stay away from him when he sweated, unless I wanted a, a shot of Jack. I would just put the shot glass underneath and you know get get some drips. But uh, no, buddy. Um, yeah, the the the, yeah. the freebirds in general were very yeah. wild to work with. I will say. <laughs> All right, the the last one I could. I could hear more Buddy Roberts stories for, for days. Um, the last one here, guys, is uh, Dennis Stamp. And uh, give me a little bit of a synopsis on Dennis Stamp. Dennis Stamp was a great wrestler. He was a great amateur wrestler. I believe he won the, uh, the Minnesota State High School Championship. Uh, if my memory serves me right, Dennis was from Brainerd, uh, the Brainerd, Minnesota area. Uh, trained by Vern Gagne, got into the business at a time again where the AWA was so top-heavy with stars like Bockwinkle and Stevens and Billy Robinson, Vern, Wahoo. Uh, the list was endless. So Dennis kind of got lost in the shuffle of the uh, of the preliminary guys. Uh, he, he got into the business about the same time that another Dennis was working here in the AWA under the name of Dennis O'Brien, uh, who was actually Dennis Bockwinkle, uh, Nick's half-brother. There's a photograph of Dennis Stamp in his later years. Uh, again, great technical wrestler, and he had a great career. He wrestled all over the world. Once, once he uh, broke the earthly bonds of the AWA, uh, again, in the tri-state area, in the NWA, over in Japan. He had the athletic background. He had the amateur skill, and he was a great heel. And, and Joel, you remember him from the latter days of the, uh, the showboat, no question about it. Sadly, what Dennis Stamp is remembered most for is in a movie uh, where he comes out and he's complaining that he's never booked. Uh, you know, he's bouncing on a trampoline. He's staying in shape and uh, he's complaining, book me, book, book Dennis Stamp. I don't understand that. Unfortunately, is kind of his legacy in the business. But Dennis was a great, great wrestler, great heel and uh, everywhere but here, really. Uh, he made a name for himself. Yeah, he was definitely a mainstay at the showboat in the later years. Yeah, that's my interaction, my memories of uh, of Dennis Stamp, and yeah, he 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 became an enhancement talent in Vegas. But I do remember watching the matches, and I could see, you know what, this guy can actually work. He, yes. you know, he was never going to be a main eventer, mid Carter, which is what this whole show is all about. He fit that role very well. And again, I love the ring generals. I love the guys that knew what they were doing. They were old school. There was no finesse. There was no fancy bullshit. Uh, they were just straight ahead, no nonsense, protected the business. And Dennis Stamp was one of those guys. Very good. All right, guys. Well, that'll wrap up our show about mid-card guys of the 1970s again. Uh, I know we're going just a couple minutes over. Uh, but I do apologize for the buffering, you guys. Um, you know, all kidding aside, uh, the Wi-Fi has been a little unstable here uh, at our house. And, and there's kind of nothing. Once you get into it, there's kind of nothing we can do because uh, we got about 20 minutes into it and it started. And it's just to, to kind of go back. So I, I do apologize. Thank you guys for for uh, sticking with us. And hopefully it'll be better next time. Uh, do you want to thank Soda Stick? Uh, because they're where you can get your AWA Unleashed merchandise. Uh, you can get a T-shirt. Uh, go to sodastickco.com. You can get a black and white T-shirt with our AWA Unleashed podcast logo on it. Uh, also, 7th Avenue Pizza, you guys. Um, I love the 7th Avenue Pizza. Uh, their meatball and pepperoni is great. The brand-new breakfast pizza is great. Um, check it out. It's all over the Twin Cities. If you're having a hard time getting it, just let us know. But, I mean, Lund's, Byerly's, Holiday, Cub, Hy-Vee, uh, it's uh, so many different places. Uh, let's give a shout-out, tell what we got coming up next week, and then um, kind of tell you what we're – do we want to tell them kind of what we're what we're working on, or do we want to save those details, or do we well, want to – Well, I think we kind of teased this before. We, we kind of okay. talked about it a little bit, but let's leave it at that. Uh, okay, if, okay. If you thought the AWA reunion was fun – 
uh, we got another something coming up for you, and uh, you will enjoy it immensely when when all the uh, I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Okay. All right. I, I I want people to know that we're working on it, but I also don't want to put it out there because we don't have everything finalized yet. Correct. Okay. There you go. Okay. Well, we'll just uh, we'll just wait on that then. Um, let's go ahead and get to the shout out guys. And I believe Mick, I believe you are up first. My friend, Bob Cook, uh, Bob Cook, who threw the greatest work punch in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, Bob was a mainstay on Georgia championship wrestling, uh, wrestled in Florida extensively. He is a, uh, uh, Facebook fixture definitely has his, uh, his thoughts that are his own thought process about the business, both today and uh, back then. But I love Bob Cook. What a character. What a sincere guy. You know where you stand with Bob Cook. So, Cooker, hello to you. My shout-out this week is to a longtime AWA fan, longtime friend of mine. Um, give him crap every time that I see him and he is in that group every time that I see him where we do this. Yes, it's not the AWA, but it was his favorite faction, the Four Horsemen. My shout out this week goes to the little man, at least in height. Uh, he makes up for it. Um, yeah, but Mr. Tony Demo. Tony I know you've watched the podcast. Thank you for doing that. Thanks for your friendship and go AWA. And uh, mine's going to go to a gentleman that you guys saw just a, a few weeks ago that I didn't get a chance to see him, but uh, he's, shall we say, the opposite of small. Uh, he's a large man, uh, both in uh, physical stature and size and just a super good dude. Uh, Joe Rude. Uh, known as Eric Rowan, Eric Redbeard. Um, I'm disappointed that I, I didn't get a chance to uh, to catch up with him out at the uh, uh, MAW show out at uh, Turtle Lake at, uh, I believe, St. Croix uh, Casino. But uh, hopefully we'll connect with Joe sometime. And uh, just a, a good, genuinely nice guy. And, uh, yeah, uh, my shout-outs to you, Joe. So, uh, there we go. And um, I think that being said, again, I know people don't like that, but that's my crutch. I'm going to say it because I don't have anything else to say. Um, <laughs> what do we have next week, guys? So we did the 70s. Uh, what uh, what do we got coming up next week, Mick and Joe? 1980s mid-card, guys. And Joe and I are going to be able to uh, share some of the memories from the showboat in the latter days of their uh, the AWA run there. An awful lot of guys to choose from that were uh, preliminary mid-card guys in the AWA, and uh, be looking forward to sharing the memories once again. That sounds like a fun show. I remembered a lot of the guys from the 70s. Now we're in the 80s, and now we're talking about my wheelhouse. There you go. And as long as my internet doesn't buff, then we're out. Oh.